Bracha, the portion of the week for this week, I would like to just for two moments, I know for the people that have tapes this, this reeks havoc a little bit, I'd like to just make mention of one or two things that really went unanswered from last week's class. We were limited with time and the, the machine shut down also before we finished. The basic theme, and we're going to see how the theme from last week is going to flow into the theme that we're going to talk about tonight, so you could justify it saying Parshas Lechacha on the tape also. The basic theme that we were discussing last week was that one of the most necessary elements for the world to exist and to go on as a wholesome place of development is that there has to be the midah of chesed. There has to be the characteristic of giving, of being concerned for another person and wanting to give. Towards the end of the class, we made mention of the fact that one of the difficulties in developing this trait of giving is that man believes that by giving he is limiting his own resources. That's what we were talking about. That's what makes it hard. I've got a thousand dollars in the bank, for instance, if we're talking about monetary chesed, and I give a hundred dollars away, nobody's going to tell me that I still have a thousand dollars in the bank. So giving is a way of limiting one's clout or one's prestige or whatever, what, whatever you you know, whatever it's talking about. And what we were trying to project last week is that even though on a superficial level it seems that a person becomes more limited by giving, but in a deeper sense a person becomes much broader by giving. And the basic formula is that I don't know if I projected that idea properly or not at the end of the class was that prior to the, genera to the time that God brought the flood, people were grabbing more and more. In other words, they wanted to expand their horizons. And what really happened was they limited their horizons. In other words, by developing this characteristic of wanting more and more and getting more and more, chap, 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 instead of logically having more, in, in essence, they had less. This could have practical application today when you see people that are really bent on getting more and more and more, in the end they have less and less because they make themselves sick to have more, they die of envy, or they eat themselves up in all kinds of anxieties. So the, the belief that the more you chap, the more you're going to have is not really true. Very often it works out that the more you chap, in the end, the less you have, the less you're going to have. And the opposite was also, is also true. The more a person gives, and the less he seemingly has for himself, it works the other way. The more a person gives, the more he's going to have himself. Why? For the simple reason that when a person gives, he becomes a resource. And then God says, if this is a giving resource, and he takes the things that I give him and he uses them, so God says, this is a place where to settle the funds, because this is the place where they're going to be used. So instead of the person becoming more limited, he becomes bigger. So the more we grab, the less we have. The less we grab and the more we give, the more we have. So it works out exactly opposite of what we think it really is. Now, going along with that idea, I'd like to say a little story, and then we'll finish, finish that week's, and then we'll continue on with this week's portion. There's an interesting story that's told that in the times of Rav Tanchuma, in the times of the sage Rav Tanchuma, 
there was a very great famine in the land. And what they did is, the law prescribes that when there's a great famine in the land, that Jews should get together, they should blow shofar, get together, say slichos, different prayers. It becomes days of fasting. Every day is a more intense kind of fast. There's a whole tractate that deals with how this is done. In any case, there was a big famine. Rav Tanchuma said it's time to fast, it's time to do tshuva, it's time to repent, and they called days of fasting. And they fasted one day, two days, three days, and it was blazing sunshine, no rain. No rain, no crops, and the famine in the ne next year is going to be even worse. So Rav Tanchuma said that obviously fasting doesn't work, so Rav Tanchuma says the only thing that really is going to work is Bonai, my children, my only advice is that you should show mercy and compassion one with the other. And hopefully if you'll show compassion one for the other, God will show compassion for you as well. And that's even a stronger formula than fasting and repenting and everything else. Exercise compassion one for the other. In any case, the Gemara says that after this piece of advice, a story came in the big hot gossip columns of all the newspapers and social magazines that there was a, a divorced man that was seen near, a ha near the house of his ex-wife. And naturally there were a lot of people that were trying to spread all kinds of rumors that even though they had gone through a formal divorce and everything, that he was drangzach, but with his ex-wife and this and that, a whole to-do became a whole, you know, became the, the, the talk of the town. And of course, Chajdul Advar Aveira. And there were people that were suspicious that this man, you know, might have reconsidered after it was too late, yeah, and decided that, you know, maybe he should get together without going through the formalities and the legalities anymore. And they thought that, you know, things were really, that he was doing something that wasn't on the up and up in Jewish law. Okay, so they called him in front of, you know, the sages, and they asked him, what are you doing, Drangzach, what are you doing milling around by your ex-wife's house? So he gave a very innocent answer, and he said the following thing. He said that I saw that the, the, my ex-wife had no food to eat, and what I was doing was I was delivering, I was delivering food and money for my ex-wife. And even though I know that I'm not obliged, I guess they didn't have alimony in those days, and even though I'm not technically obliged to, to, to give her, to give her, you know, the money and the food, but I just had compassion for her. What difference does it make if we're not, if we're, we're not compatible with each other, but I feel bad for her? And that's why I was going, even though I knew that people would talk this way, but the compassion that I had in that situation led me to go and from time to time to leave, leave money and food. This particular story, story reached Rav Tanchuma's ears. Rav Tanchuma was the one that had given them ad advice to show compassion for each other. When Rav Tanchuma heard this particular little episode, Rav Tanchuma raised his hands to heaven and he said the following thing. He said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this man doesn't owe anything to this person anymore, legally. Nevertheless, he showed the compassion of assuming to support this woman even afterwards. 
So you that have, have assumed the responsibility of supporting every single thing in this universe, how can you not have pity on us? Moments later, it began to rain. This is what the Medrash says. And here we see a very interesting, here we see a very interesting idea that from giving, a person doesn't have less. From giving, a person has more. And finally, just ending off the last question that we asked after the marble, after the flood, and everything that w went behind the flood in terms of a de decision-making process of making things better for the world to come, for the world that was going to be built after the flood, we find God in a very, um, in a very odd position. He's promising us that he'll never do it again. And if you recall, we asked the question, God doesn't have to promise us anything. If it was right to do once, it might be right to do twice. And if it wasn't right, it wasn't right. God forbid. But if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. What does God promise? I'll never do it again. If it's right, it's right. And if it's not, it's not. What's the element of promising? That was the question that we asked. And I realized that that question went unanswered. The answer to that particular question is an astounding fact. The commentaries explain that after the flood, the physical benefits that the world had to provide were diminished in tremendous amounts, qualitatively and quantitatively. The flood actually destroyed the atmosphere, destroyed the minerals of the soil, and the things that would grow and the air that would, people would breathe after the flood was not quite as wholesome as it was before. The Ramban Nachmanides says very clearly that this is the reason why lifespan took a dramatic drop after the flood. A tremendous drop. And the question that comes up on a philosophical level is, God, okay, God punished those people, but he wanted a world afterwards. Why wasn't the world after the flood created in the same way as the world before the flood? And the answer is an awesome answer. The answer is that God saw that with the plenty that they had, they couldn't handle it. They had so much that they fell into the trap of using it for themselves and becoming self-centered instead of giving it to others. In order that that shouldn't happen another time, because they weren't mature enough to handle it, God diminished the overall world output in terms of life, in terms of what we eat, in terms of what we smell, in terms of what we breathe, everything was diminished. And here again we have the same example of what we were talking about before. When you grab more, you'll end up having less. And because they would, everything that they got, they used for themselves instead of giving out to other people, and this was something that just became a spiraling effect from generation to generation, God said, well, what I'm going to have to do is, until you learn how to handle it, I'm going to have to just knock down the whole standard to a certain amount, until you learn how to give. And when the time comes that you learn how to give, I'll raise the standard again. And this is why we say that in the times of Mashiach, God will again institute longer lives, and God will make things grow much faster than they grow today, similar to what it was pre-flood pre days. What's the change? What's the change? So the Malbim explains that in Mashiach's times, people will learn the spiritual values and they'll take all those things 
not for themselves, but they'll learn how to give. And the more you learn how to give, the more they'll be. And God will raise up again the standard of world output because people will be able to use it and handle it properly. So again, the same thing. The more you give, the more you have. The less you give and the more you grab for yourself, ultimately the less you have for yourself. And that's basically the end of what we were talking about last week. Now let's continue on with this week's portion, Parshas Lech Lecha. <coughs> now in Parshas Lech Lecha, there are many different episodes that occur in this portion. The Parsha starts off, the portion starts off with Abraham being told to leave his homeland and to leave his, the place where he was born and to go to Eretz Yisrael. He's got to leave everything behind. And as the portion of the week unfolds itself, we become aware of the fact that Abraham is exposed to many, many different spiritual tests. Many of them are in this week's portion. In fact, nine out of the ten are described in this week's portion. Not all nine, one of them is not even talked about altogether. But Abraham is a man that goes through spiritual testing. And what I'd like to do tonight is try to give some kind of an understanding what a spiritual test is about, what is the purpose of a spiritual test, what was the particular value of a spiritual test specifically for Abraham, and what was accomplished in the long run from all those spiritual tests. Now, the things that we're going to learn tonight, I'd like you to listen very carefully, not to say that you don't ever, but I'd like you to listen very carefully because many of the things that we're going to talk about tonight are not really factual knowledge that you can point to a Pusik in the Chumash and say that's where the, the guy up front got it from. A lot of the things that we're going to discuss tonight are basic principles that have been communicated through different commentaries that are extremely basic to appreciating the whole book of Genesis. And let's begin like this. The book of Genesis. How many names does the book of Genesis have? In English, it's the book of Genesis. In Hebrew, we call it Sefer Bereshis. There are, though, two other names for the book of Bereshis. Two other names. One of them is called the Sefer HaYetzirah, the Book of Creation. The second name that the Sefer Bracious has is Sefer HaYoshar, the Book of the Straightforward People. These are the two names that the book has. And I'd like to explain both names for the book. The booksellers could go crazy selling it under four different names. In any case, why does it have these names? So you could say simply that the book of Bracious is called Sefer Yetzirah because it deals with the creation of the world. Very simple. That's why it's called Genesis in English. So in Hebrew, it's called Sefer Yetzirah because it deals with the creation of the world. That's true. But if that would be the case, then you would be calling a book after the first chapter. Did you ever hear of an author entitling an entire book just because of the first chapter of the book? just the first chapter of the book that deals with the creation of the world. So why should the whole book be called Genesis or Sefer Yetzirah just because of the first chapter? So the Ramban says something that's very interesting. Nachmanides. Nachmanides says that when we talk about the book of Bracious being the book of creation, we do not mean a physical creation alone. What happens in the book of Genesis? 
we are told of the lives of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, of the others. And for that matter, we are told of the Imohos, of their, their wives and the mothers of Klal Yisrael. And Nachmanides says that the Gemara says, Ma'ase avos simen lebanim. Let's explain what that means. The actions and the lifetimes of our forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, are pretty much a guide and a symbol of everything that's going to happen in future generations. Now, who cares? Is this the Farmer's Almanac and we want predictions of everything that's going to happen? If you look through the Chumash, you'll see very clearly that all over the Chumash, Nachmanides says, this particular event repeated itself 1,000 years later over here. And this particular event repeated itself over here. And this, who cares if they, if they repeat themselves, if they don't repeat themselves, what's the relevance behind it? But that's the saying. Ma'ase avos, the actions of our forefathers, simen lebanim, it's almost like a sign that it's going to happen again. So Nachmanides explains that everything that our forefathers lived through and accomplished in their lifetime wasn't just events that are written down in a biography. They created certain spiritual potentials with the things that they did in their lifetime. And the things that they created, the spiritual potentials that they created is the reason why the book is called the Book of Creation. In other words, it's not a book of creation just because God created the world. The book is called the Book of Creation because everything that our forefathers did were spiritual creations that we benefit from till today. Let me give one example of what I mean by this. There's a very famous question that the Svasemis asks, the Gerer Rebbe asks. He says, we make such a big to-do about all the people that gave their lives to sanctify God's name, yeah? and then we play up the Akedah Yitzhak to, to no end when Abraham was prepared to bind Isaac on the altar for God's will. So what's the big deal? There were thousands of plain Jews all through the generations that were prepared to do that. So the Svasemis' answer, which is a very very practical answer. He says, you're putting the, horse before, the cop before the horse. The only reason why in all generations it became a quality of a Jew that he had the strength to give his life to sanctify God's name is because he had a forefather that created the spiritual source and the spiritual energy that later generations should be able to do that. So it's true. Once Abraham and Isaac went through with that they created an en a spiritual energy that's now handed down from generation to generation that makes it a quality of a Jew, that a Jew is prepared to give his life to sanctify God's name. This is what's meant by Sefer Yetzirah, a book of creation. Our forefathers created different things with the things that they did. They weren't just historical events. Go investigate your roots. Everything that happened in the book of Genesis are creations, and they became the spiritual genes of Klal Yisrael. Let me give you another example. The Gemara at the Pirkei Avo says, the ethics of our father says, that if you want to know the qualities of a Jew, the qualities of a Jew are by Shanim, they have a sense of shame, Rachmanim, they have a sense of mercy, the Gomle Chasadim, and they do Chesed, they do good deeds one with the other and if you find a fellow like that Mizera Avram you can know for sure that he's from the seed of Abraham in fact there's a large discuss discussion in Maimonides that if you find a Jew that's extremely cruel you have to look into his lineage to find out 
to find out. Maybe somewhere along the line, he got messed up with, you know, with with other nations that that had a a reputation of being cruel in history. So what do you see from that? Again, the same kind of an idea. The idea being that Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov created certain spiritual qualities and their creations, their creations, and the book becomes a Sefer Yetzirah. Now let's go on to the second name. The second name of the book is Sefer Hayosha, the book of the straightforward. This is obvious. You must probably all guessed it already. Our Avos, our forefathers, are called Yesharim, straight people. They're not called Tzadikim. They're not called Kedoshim. They're not called Chasidei Elyon, all the fancy names that you find in the front of, the, uh, front of holy books. No. Yesharim, straight people. Straight, finished, straight. And the way they reached God was because their approach was straight. It wasn't crooked this way, that way. Straight. And therefore, all the stories and everything that they did in their lives, they did with a sense of straightness, a sense of honesty, a straight sense of consistency. So the book becomes Sefer Hayasha. Okay, so now we know that we're learning the Sefer Hayitzira, which is the Sefer Hayasha. That's what we, so far, what we know. Uh, according to this line, by the way, this, this is based, that our forefathers called Yesharim, this is based in a, in a passage in the Song of Songs. And straight people loved you. And the commentaries say that this is a reference to our forefathers. Now, everything that we do in the book of Genesis from now on has to be understood under the microscope of a Sefer Yetzira and a Sefer Hayasha. In other words, now when we investigate everything that happens in this particular book, we have to see how it fits in as a chapter of the book of creation. How does it fit in as a chapter of Yashras, of straightforwardness? That's what we have to do. And we're going to start with Avraham. We're going to start with Avraham because that's what we're dealing with. Okay. So if I would ask anybody here, what, what is the Yitzira? What is the major creation of Abraham? Everybody here would say, Chesed. Abraham was the first person that really, really established the Midah of Chesed. It's true, we learned last week, he learned it from Noah, but he was the one that applied it to human beings. But before it was applied to human beings, it was by Noah, and he applied it now to mankind as a whole. So Avram is known as the Isha Chesed. Those of you that are familiar with the different Midos, the different characteristics by which we describe God, the three major characteristics are Chesed, Din, or Gvura, which means certain spiritual strength and courage, and emes, truth. Those are the three major conducts. So Abraham is the first, chesed. So if we were to ask, what did Abraham create? He created an appreciation and a sense for chesed, for doing good one with the other. That's pretty straightforward. Now, how did he arrive at that? Because he was yosher because he was straight. He looked at the whole world. He was able to see that obviously this world was created with purpose. Obviously somebody created this world and gave. And it seemed logical that for the world to go on existing, it could only go on with giving and not with everybody grabbing. So without a Torah and without being holy and religious and everything else, 
It just made sense. It was a straight thing. It makes sense that people should help each other, that people should give each other. So here is a man that creates chesed, and he's creating the chesed with his yashras. Just with being straight, being plain, straight. Nothing highfalutin. He didn't crick into the Zohar, he didn't crick into Kabbalah, nothing straight. It makes sense to help people. It makes sense that that's what God wants from a person. And that's how he created chesed. So it's a sefer yitzira and it's a sefer hayasha. Okay, that's not bad. Now the question that comes up is, well, where does Nisayan fit into the picture? Where does spiritual testing fit into this picture? In other words, if his creation was chesed, and he arrived at his chesed with Yosher because he was a straight guy and it just made sense for people to help each other. Now, where does the lifetime of spiritual testing fit into this picture? What is Nisayon? What does testing have to do with this? What does it fit into? What's a, what, what was the purpose of testing? Now, just before we go any further, it would be completely unfair for me not to describe some of the spiritual tests that Abraham had. The last one that we're all familiar with is God tested him if he was prepared to sacrifice Isaac. God didn't want that he should sacrifice Isaac, but he wanted to see if he was prepared to do that. That was the tenth test. And Abraham had nine other tests. One of the tests, we'll go through a few of them, so we'll get like a common denominator in all the tests. One of the tests was that he had a son, Yishmael, that Hagar had given birth to, it came a time that Yishmael became a real bum and he was influencing Isaac in a real bad way and Abraham found it very hard to give him his walking papers. Why? Because Abraham is an Ishach he's a very He's a very good per- person. Yeah? And he found it very difficult. Maybe he'll change. Maybe tomorrow morning he'll have a different idea, Yishmael. Give him another chance. Give him another day. And this went on and on and on. And this was a spiritual test. In other words, to be able to call it quits when quits have to be called, that was something that was very difficult for Avram. Another one of the spiritual tests was bris mila. Circumcision at the age of 99 is no laughing matter. And he had to do it because it was God's will to have circumcision at the age of 99, a spiritual test. Another spiritual test, God sent him away out of a comfortable place where he was, and when he arrived, there was a big famine. Another spiritual test. God sending me places and everything is working out worse than it was before. That's a spiritual test. So Abraham went through many spiritual tests. One of the first of his spiritual tests was when he had to decide if he would bow down to an idol or be thrown into, into burning flames of fire. And he was prepared. And they threw him in, Nimrod. King Nimrod threw him into the burning flames because he refused to bow down to the idols of his father. And, again, a spiritual test. All right. Now, of course, you're going to all ask me why that's considered the first of the spiritual tests instead of the last. We can't, I'm not going to go into that right now. But that was also a spiritual test that Abraham went through. Now, where do all these things fit into Abraham being a creator in the book of creation? Where does it all fit in? The answer is rather obvious. The answer is that all spiritual tests are to tap spiritual potentials that a person has. As long as a person thinks, I want to do this, I want to do that, 
and I really want to do this, and I really... Until it becomes reality, a person can have the most highfalutin aspirations in the world, and when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, to the actuality, baloney, he's not ready for it. What Nisayan does is a Nisayan, a spiritual test says, you're, you're, you're running around thinking that you and God are the two best friends in the world. One second. When the, when the going's good, everything's fine and you're wholly committed. Let's see. When it comes down to a real, something that's hard to do, let's see. Now, the let's see isn't because God doesn't know how the person is going to react. But what it is, is bringing the conviction to a reality brings the potential into its being. In other words, as long as a person thinks, I want to do this, I really, really want to do this, I really, really, really want to do this, but he doesn't do it, so it's a potential. It's not a reality. And what spiritual testing is, it brings it out. The way it's described in our Mepharshim is, Lahotzi min hakoech el hapoel, to bring it from its potential into its reality. Okay. So Abraham obviously had to bring some kind of spiritual potentials min hakoach el hapoel. Okay? And if that's the case, it's very well understood why it fits into the book of creation. Because as long as something is a potential and it doesn't become a reality, it's really uncreated. It's not created yet. It's not born yet. It's only after the potentials become real that you can say that something has been created. So it's logical why in the book of creation we should have this tool called spiritual testing. Because all spiritual testing is creating. It's bringing potentials into the reality. It's bringing them out. But obviously, and we could say further, if we would want to extend the concept a little bit further, we could say that Abraham had to exercise the straightforwardness of his relationship with God in order to pass his spiritual tests. In other words, testing brings potentials into reality. It's a creation. What was the main tool that Abraham used to pass his test? A certain straightforwardness. Now, that's a statement that needs explanation, which we're going to get into right now. In our literature, and this is extremely basic, in our Midrashic literature, Avram, tonight seems to be a night of names, Avram has another name. I know you're all going to tell me his name was, before it was Avram, it was Avram without the hay. That's true, but he had another name also. Would anybody here venture what Avram's other name was besides Abe? <laughs> All right. Avram's other name, right. Avram's other name was Adam Hagadol. That came well over 2,000 years later is also called Adam. But he's not called Adam, but he's called Adam Hagadol. The big Adam. In other words, as if to say the first man that was created He's small. The real Adam is Avram. Now, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Why all of a sudden does he get the name Adam? By the way, in our literature it says that Abraham really, the soul of Abraham should have been brought into this world all the way from the beginning of creation. This is what the, the Medrash says. And the Medrash says, why wasn't he brought all the way at the beginning of creation? So the Medrash says it's an example to a building that needs two major pillars in order for it to stand. 
if you put both pillars on the south southwest side of the building and you don't centralize the two pillars, the building is not going to stand. So for that reason, if Abraham would have been in the same generation as Adam, it would have been a lopsided building. All the pillars would have been all the way on one side and the world would not be able to stand. So God put this pillar, this Adam Hagadol, 2,000 years later at a pivotal point so that the world should be able to stand. But why is he called Adam Hagadol? Many holy sources say that the reason why Avram is called Adam Hagadol is because in his lifetime he tried to make good on the sin of Adam. This is something that's brought down in the Shalah. It's really based in a Zohar that Avram's function and mission in life was Tikkun Chet Adam Harishan to rectify the sin that man made. And because in his lifetime he did, he's called Adam, but not just Adam, but Adam Hagadol, because he made good on the mistake that the original Adam made. So he gets the name Adam, because he took, he, he took up the slack the, of Adam's life, and he did good on it. So he becomes Adam Hagadol. This is what the Zohar says. Now, until last week, if I would have made mention of this, we could make no sense out of this. What was the sin of Adam? He wanted to eat from something that was forbidden. Right? It looked good. It made sense to eat it. He had all kinds of calculations why he had to eat it. But after everything said and done, it was a ta'ava. Of some sort, it was a desire of some sort. And he gave, he succumbed to his ta'ava, to his desire, to his lust, and he ate. So what can we say? That it was a sin of ta'ava. It was some kind of a sin of ta'ava, giving, succumbing to desire. The ten generations from Avram gave more and more in to desire, succumbed to desire, until when it came around to Noah's time, God said it's too much, and God destroyed the world and kept Noah alive. What happened from Noah till Avram, which was another ten generations? Things didn't get too much better. And again, the world fell into a spiraling, a downward spiral where people were getting involved in all kinds of things. Comes along Avram, and Avram starts touting the belief in God. He builds a house with four doors. You can come in wherever you want. And the Zohar comes along and says, you know what Abraham is doing? He's helping fix the mistake that Adam did. What's the connection? What's the connection? Now, if you would tell me that Abraham was some kind of a parush, he's a guy that left the world, and he went to some mountain, and he starved all day and all night, and he removed himself from all the pleasures of this world. So by some stretch of the imagination, so you'll say that Abraham rectified the sin of Adam. Adam gave in to his ta'ava, to his desire, and Avram wasn't giving in. But it doesn't say anywhere in our literature that Avram was a parish, that he held himself back from the pleasures of this world. All it says is that he took from the pleasures of the world and he shared them with other people. But it doesn't say anywhere that he minimized the pleasures of this world. So where does he fit in in the role of doing, making good on Adam's sin? But tonight, after last week's class, we can understand it very well. We explained that the gripe against the people wasn't so much that they were giving in to their, their desires. 
See, we're very mechanical. God says, don't do it. You do it, so you gave in to something you weren't supposed to do. That was what was wrong. We explained last week that the underlying problem was that they became grabbers instead of givers. That was the problem. Everything was grab, grab, grab. Oh, if the sin was grab, 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 that's what the problem was. So then Avram was fixing the problem. Because what Avram was doing was he was trying, beginning a new trend, a trend of giving instead of grabbing. Oh, so then it's a different story. Then it's already a different story. Then we can see already a little bit how Avram is fixing something that started with Adam and just got worse and worse and worse. What did you, what did you go over to the tree for? What did you eat from the tree for? Because you said to yourself, everything in this world is mine. There is nothing that can't be mine. It belongs to me. What kind of a business is this? God is going to tell me this I can have and this I can't have. The whole world is mine. Everything is mine. Now, if they, he didn't have that element of grabbing underneath, obviously that wouldn't have been a problem. So there was an underlying problem of thinking that you're the center of the universe, and therefore there's nothing that's out of my limitations. Ah, then Avram is a different story. Avram is already giving a classification. Everything is yours under certain circumstances. Everything is yours, provided you know what to do with it. Everything is yours, but there are some things that you can't have now. Then it becomes a different story. <coughs> now, but if we were to end the class at this particular point, we've left out a major portion, and I'm not going to do it next week, we're going to do it tonight. We left out something. We left something very critical out. Where do nisyainis, where do tests fit into this picture? How does testing fit into this picture? And here is something that's very interesting. In other words, what did we say so far? We said that the world, the 20 generations, the 10 from Adam to Noach and the 10 from Noach to Avram, was a world of grabbers. Okay? And Avram stopped that trend and started to give. So he becomes like Adam, but he's the Adam Agadol. He's the real big man, even bigger than the first Adam. But where does Nisayan fit into this picture? Now, just before we go further, I just had a flash. Just before we go further, this gives us a deeper interpretation into why Avram is in the book of creation. Since he introduced the element of giving, and it's the element of giving that makes the, pos the possibility of the world to exist, so he's a creator. Introducing giving means that the world can go on existing, so he becomes a creator. An Ish HaChesed is a creator. He's creating. So he fits into the book of Yetzirah. Now let's continue. We are Anisyanus in this. And this is the beauty of Parashas Lech Lecha. Everything that we've been saying till now, and in fact, if I'm not mistaken, he's not here now, but he was here last week. There was somebody that came over to me last week at the end of the class and said, Rabbi, you sounded very Christian. <laughs> there was somebody here last week that said that to me. I don't know if he considered that a compliment or not, but that's what he said to me. Rabbi, you sound very Christian. He said, everything is giving. You sound like the guys that say that if you get a slap in the face, turn the other cheek. He just didn't seem to understand the whole class. Now, if he would be here tonight, he wouldn't say that anymore. <laughs> Chesed is a very wonderful thing. It's a very, very wonderful thing. Compassion, giving, understanding, sharing, 
tremendous thing. It's the secret of life. Powers of creation, true. But it has to be within a certain context. Let me explain. You have an Abraham that's giving, 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 giving. He has a Yishmael in the house. He has a Yishmael in the house. And Yishmael is becoming a terrible, terrible influence. He brought home things, a lot of bad stuff, real bad stuff, the real heavy kind of stuff. And there was a young, impressionable kid in the house by the name of Yitzchak. So, Avram's the Ishach said, maybe he's going to turn over another leaf. I'll cut his allowance, I'll double his allowance, whichever way you want to handle it. But maybe you'll turn over another leaf. Now, there is a time and place for chesed. But there are certain times when chesed is not the call of the hour. Chesed also has its boundaries. Chesed also has its rules and regulations. And when it doesn't, you can land up sometimes even worse they're not the Isha Chesed. It's an interesting thing. Food for thought. Let me just throw an idea out. You know, Arias, living an immoral life, living with people that are forbidden to live with by the Torah law, is called Chesed. Do you know that? It's called Chesed. Chesed who? If you look up the portion that deals with all the immoral relationships, one of the relationships as is described, chesed who? What in the world is going on? The answer is that in all relationships, there can be giving. But even in giving, there are limitations where the giving is applicable and where the giving is not applicable. It has its time and its place. It has its time and its place. So, what we could say, let me give another example, a good example. When Abraham was 99 years old, he got a mitzvah of circumcision. So everybody here thinks that the spiritual test was 99 years old. To go through that is a little bit, you know, a difficult kind of thing. If you look in the Medrash, the Medrash says that the spiritual test was a completely different one. The Medrash says, that Abraham would be the first circumcised person. Abraham was a real social bug. He got along with, he had four doors, so people walked in and out. He got along with people. He communicated with people. He had a certain image, a social image with people. And of course, the social image wasn't so that he should be plastered all over the social magazines. It was all because he wanted to bring people closer to the truth that there's a God in the world and there's a purpose for creation and there's a purpose for a person living. So he had good reasons for his being social. So he turned to God and he said to God, if I go through this fanatical religious practice, I am going to be separating myself from everybody else. And all the good and all the worth that I have in terms of being buddy-buddy with people and making, bringing peace, people closer to the... To, to the reality of a God and a purpose for living, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose my strength in those areas. Because now they're going to point at me, eh, just like all the other religious fanatics, here's another one, 99 years old, and he's going through a circumcision. Another fanatic. And he felt that he was going to lose his ability to give. 
that was a spiritual test, especially for Avram, because Avram's whole characteristic was to give. And when he was presented with a situation by which he thought that he would not be able to give, that became a spiritual test. But what God was trying to teach him with all the spiritual testing is that giving is tremendous and chesed is tremendous. But hold on one second. You have to have it within its proper context. It has to be within its proper context. Otherwise, what the person is really doing is he's worshipping his emotions instead of really worshipping God's will. A person can be so overcome with chesed and compassion that he just acts out of the, out of the emotions that are within him and it has really nothing to do if it is God's will or if it isn't God's will. So he's worshipping out of emotion without really worshipping out of wanting to do God's will. So Abraham, yes, Abraham, the man that brought chesed into the world, had to refine the chesed. He had to put the chesed in its proper perspective. And all the spiritual testing that he received was, yes, chesed, but within its proper realm. Chesed is when it's within its proper boundaries. When it goes out of its proper boundaries, then it's not chesed. <clears throat> if you think about it a little bit, there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth to this point. If it goes unbridled, without any determination except emotion, it can, lead, it can lead into a lot of wrong places. So what we could say is that Noach is the lesson of chesed. Avraham becomes the lesson of how to perfect the chesed through the spiritual testing. Now, a person can think to himself, that what Abraham did in his lifetime is as follows. Noach was the role model of chesed. Abraham picked up the role model and he became the big Baal chesed. Right? Besides being a Baal chesed, he was also taught that he has to do God's will and he was also taught that God's will is above everything else and he had to exercise a certain amount of self-control. So how do we picture it? We picture it that one thing is chesed and then there's another thing that was expected of Abraham self-control. It's not true. It's not that chesed is one issue and self-control is a second issue. Chesed is not chesed unless it has that element of self-control in it. In other words, without the self-control, the chesed can jump its boundaries. Let me give you an example. There's somebody here in the audience that he for sure won't hold a gripe against me. Yeah? And he once portrayed to me a very good example of this particular thing. And then you can make your own personal examples. Right? In Israel, there's a movement. The fellow most probably burst out and tell me what the name of the movement is. I don't remember what the name of the movement is. But it's committed to compassion. And therefore, they have Israeli girls and boys in a co-ed camp together with Arab-Israeli Arab, Arab girls and boys. All with the basis of chesed. Chesed is tremendous. Olam chesed The world is built on chesed. And therefore, the chesed, the charity, has to be extended out to all the corners of the world, no matter what the circumstances and no matter what the price is. Right. That would be a perfect example of something that's not chesed. In other words, for a person to read that and say to himself, they are big balei chasadim. They are big people of chesed. 
but they don't know where to put it. That's not correct. It's not chesed. It's not chesed because there, in that particular action, you are destroying instead of building. So it's not chesed. Chesed is to build. It's not to destroy. So in that, in that particular context, in other words, it needs a certain control. It needs a certain control where it is of a positive nature. You can give somebody to some, something to somebody and he can ruin himself with it. So you're going to say it's chesed, but it was a bad move? It's not chesed, but a bad move. You gave him something that's going to destroy him. So that ultimately, that's not chesed. The way we define characteristics, we don't look at just the action. We have to look at its effects. We have to look at the total picture. You give a kid a motorcycle. Yeah? You're a big bal chesed. You're giving him a motorcycle. Yeah? But ultimately, it might very well not be a big chesed to give him a motorcycle. Yeah? Because if he doesn't know how to handle the motorcycle, he might break a couple of a leg or an arm. So it's not a chesed. In other words, it has to be it has to be in its context. If it's not in its context, it can lose that feature of chesed. Now, if we were just to take it just one little step further, and then we'll stop. If we can just take it one step further, we said that Avram is called the Adam HaGadol. Why is he called the Adam HaGadol? Because he tried to do good on Adam's, on the thing that Adam did wrong. How is he trying to do good on what Adam did wrong? So on the first level, we explained it. Adam grabbed he thought that the whole world was created for him and that that entitles him to anything and everything. So Avram was the person that started teaching giving instead of taking. Okay. How about on this new level that we're explaining Avram? That Avram's life wasn't only a life to teach to give, but it was a life to teach to give within its proper context. How about that? Now what does that have to do with Adam? What does that have to do with first man? So the answer is very simple. When first man was contemplating to eat from the tree, what did he say to himself? God is a God of chesed. He gave me everything in this garden. God is also a, man, a, a force that has limitations, that holds things back. Because he told me that I can't eat from this particular tree. In other words, I see one face of God in Isha Chesed, and I see another face of God where he's, a, where he's a God that holds things back. Now, ultimately, what was the spiritual test for Adam? The spiritual test for Adam was to realize that limitations are sometimes necessary even within the context of Chesed. Just because you can't have something, that doesn't automatically mean that it's contradictory to Chesed. But what Adam did and what Adam said to himself is a limitation or a holding back is automatically contradictory to chesed. It's a contradiction. So a God of giving and a God of chesed, I understand. But the minute he imposes a limitation, that's another face that has nothing to do with chesed. That's another face of God and that face of God I don't want to know about. 
That was the sin of Adam. In other words, Adam couldn't understand that the situation can be a situation of giving, but even within the situation of giving, there have to be certain limitations for the giving to be good. That's, the, that's what Adam's problem was. By Avram becoming the Ish HaChesed, and becoming by the Ish HaChesed that will exercise his Chesed only in the right place, and, he's, and he says that under certain circumstances there are limitations, so he was trying to rectify the philosophical mistake that Adam had made. In other words, Adam said a limitation can't be within the context of chesed. It's another face of God that I don't want to know. And what Avram was doing with all the spiritual tests was, even within the context of giving, giving has con- certain basic controls that are necessary. And if those controls aren't exercised, so then it can become a problem. To give a kid that's spoiled and constantly give and give is not chesed. To hold back is chesed. Adam couldn't understand holding back can be a chesed for him, that it could be a good thing for him. He didn't understand that. How can it be good for me? Anything that's held back from me is not a good thing for me. It's not chesed. So what Avram was trying to do was, with the spiritual testing is chesed, but there is limitations. It can't just be a total free-for-all. And this is something that it's can think about along different lines. People get, and it's a very good thing to get very involved in chesed, very involved in giving. But giving also has its right ways of expression and its wrong ways of expression. It has context where it's correct and it has context where it's wrong. And that also how to give. In other words, the compassion of giving and giving is tremendous. But how to give and under what context to give is also an important lesson. Not outside of chesed, but to qualify the chesed in its proper perspective. Okay, we'll stop here.